Uh, if we haven't met before, uh, my name is Justin, one of the team here at GBC, and, uh, and it's our privilege to welcome our kids amongst us this morning. Hey kids, how are we going? Good? Yeah. Um, we're coming towards the end of our series in the book of Ephesians, and we're considering in these few weeks what it looks like for us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And in Ephesians 6, the Bible has something that is especially important for our kids to hear. Paul the Apostle, he clearly assumes that the Bible is relevant for kids too. Imagine that. So much so that he actually addresses them in particular. So, GBC kids, are you guys ready to hear from God's Word this morning? Yes? Excellent. Well, how about we read Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to sit down here, if that's okay. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. Uh, I'm going to read that, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to talk about what we've heard. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Would you pray with me? Gracious Father, thank you that you have made all of us your children. Thank you that you have called us to yourself and that you speak to us so that we might know Jesus and that we might love him and live faithfully for him. Please help us now as we listen to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I've got a question for you. And if you know the answer, Emerson, Georgia, Ezra, others, if you know the answer, then I just need you to contain it, okay? Uh, so two weeks ago, I brought a surprise home for my family. All right, kids, can someone guess what that surprise was? Yes. Ah, oh, you got it first go. There you go. Yeah, it was a puppy. Everyone, meet Valley. Beautiful golden Labrador, and that's all my kids uh, with her enjoying her. She may indeed just be the cutest puppy that you've ever seen. Uh, she's 10 weeks old now, and she does all the typical puppy things. She runs around after a soccer ball. Uh, she curls up and she sleeps on my lap. Uh, she jumps on you. She licks your face uh, if you're lying on the ground. Uh, but she also wheezes in my house a lot. It's not where wheezes go. Uh, she chews our socks and our plants, our toys and our chairs. Um, she is a puppy. She's a cute puppy, uh, but she's also quite a cheeky puppy, isn't she? Yeah, Georgia knows. Um, and puppies, they need a lot of love and care and attention. But do you know what else they need? They need to be trained, don't they? They need to be taught what's right and what's wrong. Valley, she needs to learn what is right and what is wrong so that she would be obedient to do the things that I ask her to do. Now, why do you think Valley needs to be obedient? Why can't she just keep weighing in my house? Why can't she keep chewing on my socks and on my plants? Well, because being obedient is actually what's best for her, isn't it? If Valley doesn't be obedient to me about these things, 
What about when we go for a walk? And she doesn't listen to me when we're about to cross the road. She doesn't see that the car's coming. Or maybe if she sees another dog coming, and she starts wanting to run at it and attack it. It'd be terrible, wouldn't it? It's not what we want for Valley. Valley's life could be at risk if she doesn't listen to me as her, not her parent, as her owner. <laughs> if she doesn't listen to me and be obedient, Valley's life is at risk, isn't it? She might get hit by the car. She might choose something that's poisonous. She might get really sick. She might even be hurt by another dog or even another human and have to be taken away even to puppy jail. But if she does listen to me and she does be obedient, what do you reckon will happen? Yes? Yeah, she'll be happy, won't she? Yeah? She'll live a long and healthy and happy life. That's what we want for Valley. See, listening and being obedient, it's really important, isn't it? It's really important. And if it's really important for Valley, how important do you think that it is for us as well? God thinks that it is important. That's why these verses are in the Bible, written for you guys as kids so that you would know how important it is to listen and to be obedient. Now, can I ask you guys another question? You need to be really brave to answer it, okay? Are you ready? Who here wants to love and follow Jesus? That's so great. How special is that? Did you know that that's why I'm here? And why so many of us adults are here this morning? Because... We want to love and follow Jesus. And this letter to the Ephesians, which we've read from, has so many wonderful things to tell us about how to love and follow Jesus. And this part of the letter, which is really important and is written especially for you guys as children, is about how to help you love and follow Jesus. So what did it say to you? It said, children... Obey your parents, for this is right. Obey your parents. Just like Valley needs to listen and obey to me so that she will grow and be healthy and to make good choices, so too do you need to listen and obey your parents. Obeying your parents is really important. And just like Valley, if you weren't to listen to and obey your parents, you might make some bad choices. Some bad choices that might get you hurt or that mean that you hurt somebody else. And that would be really sad, wouldn't it? But how great and how happy would you be if you trusted your mum and dad and you listened to them and you obeyed them? Your mum and dad, they know what is best for you. And even though it doesn't always make sense or that it's not always the thing that you want to do, God says that you must be obedient to them. Uh, The good news is is that I know a lot of your parents uh, and they do love you and they do know what is best for you. They want you to be happy and to be healthy and to live a long life just like this verse says. And when we live the way that God wants us to live, there is so much joy to be found. But even more than that, 
as great as that is, obeying our parents is really important because Jesus has given us eternal life. Jesus, he has given us everything, hasn't he? He has died for our sin. He has been raised to life and he now rules over everything and everyone. And because he has forgiven us, because he has rescued us, because he's given us everything, we now want to live a life that makes Jesus happy, don't we? What this Bible passage is saying to you is that you should obey your parents because Jesus has given you eternal life. If you do love Jesus and you do want to follow him, then obey your parents because this is what pleases God. It makes him happy when you listen and obey your parents. And because you have loved and trusted Jesus and because you have lived a life of faith that pleases him, you will live forever and ever in heaven with Jesus. How great is that? See, there is so much good to come from obeying your mum and dad. You'll probably get to play Nintendo. You'll probably get treats and pocket money. Maybe even you'll get a puppy. Sorry, parents. But even more important than all that stuff, you will have eternal life with your God and Saviour. He's so worth it, kids, to follow him. He's worth giving all of your life to. He is worth obeying your parents for because he has given you everything through the cross. So did you know that you can pray to God to ask for help with this? How great is that? That if you're struggling to be obedient, who finds it hard to obey mum and dad sometimes? Yeah, all of you need to raise your hands right now. If you're struggling to be obedient, stop what you're doing and pray to Jesus. If you're feeling really grumpy and being unkind to your mum, stop what you're doing. Pray to Jesus. If you feel like everything is just too much and it's too hard to listen to what Dad is asking you to do, stop and ask Dad to pray with you to Jesus. Jesus wants to help you be obedient to your mum and dad and so you can pray to him anytime at all and you can ask him for his help. So let me finish by reading this again. This is what you guys heard in big group, I think, pretty sure, just earlier on. Children, because of Jesus, we now live each day to please him. Nothing puts a smile on his face more than children learning to obey their parents. Sometimes what mum and dad ask us to do is hard or painful. We just don't want to do it. But obeying them means we obey them in everything. The things we like to do and the things we don't like to do. Because this pleases our Lord. So why don't we ask God to help us now? Emerson, do you want to come and... Pray for us, please. Dear Lord, thank you for your great love for us. 
Thank you that you have rescued us from our sins and given us everything. Please would you help us to love and to glorify you, especially by helping us to obey our mums and dads. We want to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Emmy. It's been so great to have you here with us. I hope that God's word will do a work in your hearts and that you'll want to keep loving him and following him for all of your days. And so be kind to your parents. Listen to them. Obey them. Even when you get in the car to go home now. Eh? That's great. Um, Mrs. Prince is going to lead you guys back out to keep talking more about what you've heard from God's word this morning. And um, I'm going to talk especially to your dads now. So thanks, Mrs. Prince. Uh, well, as the little ones are making their way through to keep talking more about what they've heard from God's Word this morning, we're going to shift gear a little bit. Um, but before you do, we do, uh, I just wanted to share a brief thought about what these few verses mean for us who are no longer under the care of our parents. And I think it seems quite clear in the context that Paul has in mind that only kids who are still under the care of their parents need to obey their, this command to obey their parents. Uh, Tim, he noted well for us last week that the word for submit uh, is different to this word, uh, obey. So wives, there's to submit in respect to their husbands, uh, which is different to what children are to do with their parents and what bond servants are to do with their masters. So wisdom would suggest that in our society, once a person turns 18, uh, they're considered to, uh, by the state to be of their own volition and they're responsible for themselves. Uh, and especially so too in marriage, right? Where the man leaves his father and mother and the two become one flesh. This, I think, I think it's helpful in thinking about when we move away from this command to obey our parents. However, the command to honour our parents never changes. To show love and care and respect for them surely ought to mark us as Christians, especially in a society that is moving away more and more from showing respect and value to our elders. Maybe it really is necessary that you move your parents into an uh, aged care facility, but don't let that be a cop-out for taking care of them and loving them and respecting them. May we heap dignity and worth and value on our elders. See, not everything new is automatically good. The latest iPhone might be, or the latest car, but we still have so much to learn from our parents and our elders. So young adults, while you're still learning to be your own person, listen deeply to your parents. Soak in their wisdom. You might not technically have to obey them now, but you still must respect them and honour them, and I think you would do really well to hear their stories and their experiences and their wisdom.
Uh, I could go on about that for a long time, but I'll get off my hobby horse with that. We still have one more, vo one more verse to get through. Um, and somehow we butchered our planning with this passage because next week is Father's Day. Uh, and maybe it would have been providential to talk about fatherhood on Father's Day. And maybe all of you dads would really have appreciated me telling you to obey your, uh, your kids to obey you on Father's Day. Uh, but it wasn't meant to be. Um, and the good news is, no matter what, God's word still speaks to us, no matter what day it is. And so let us read our final verse for today. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Can we pray once more before we unpack this? Gracious Father, please would you draw us near to your Son through your word and by your spirit so that we might be changed more and more into his image. Please speak to us clearly now and please be glorified in the preaching of your word and as we hear it. Amen. Uh, so I thought I'd just begin this verse by reminding us of a few of the most famous dads that have had the most airtime and have potentially been the most influential, particularly on my generation in many ways. Uh, so this is how modern Western society has modelled fatherhood to us in the last 30 years. Everybody loves Raymond. He's watched this show. Yep, probably some of us. Ray Romano, uh, he's forever shirking responsibility, isn't he? Always dependent on his parents who live across the street and leaves his wife everything to take care of. Here's another one. Phil Dunphy from Modern Family. Uh, because of the modernness of the rest of the show, uh, Phil, I reckon, comes across as one of the better things. Uh, and in many ways, he is hilarious. But he refuses to grow up, doesn't he? He's always making decisions apart from his wife, buying things that he doesn't need, and is in constant unhealthy submission to his wife. Another one, Homer Simpson. I don't think I need to say too much about him. Uh, another one, you might not know, but Peter Griffin. Uh, he's basically a more crude version of Homer. Uh, and this one is by far my least favourite because he's pitched to two-year-olds, and that's a daddy pig. Forever the bumbling fool, mocked by his daughter, who has got way too much attitude to be uh, influencing toddlers, and he wouldn't last more than five minutes as a parent without Mummy Pig around. We actually won't let our kids watch Peppa Pig anymore because of this very thing. These are the men, along with many others like them, that are modelling fatherhood to my generation and all those who come after me. These are the men who would probably spend more face time with their kids than their own dads do. And so this begs the question, as one of my youth leaders asked me the other night, where are all the men? Ephesians 6.4 challenges every part of our culture when it comes to fatherhood these days. Rather than being inappropriate, passive, immature fools, Paul demands something very different of us as fathers. And it's important to note here that Paul really does use the distinct word for fathers. As we saw in last week's passage, the man who's to be the head of the wife 
in their gospel-shaped union, he is also to be the head of the family. Paul, by speaking directly to the men, places the primary responsibility for the home on the fathers. Which I think actually might come as a surprise to some of us. Perhaps our vision of uh, this complementary uh, manner that the Bible presents, uh, the way that it w- might work itself out in the home, the dad goes to work as the breadwinner and the mum takes responsibility for all the stuff that happens at home. And now that might be how it works out. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that, except that Paul, by addressing the fathers, actually places the primary responsibility for the home and for child-rearing with the fathers and not with the mothers. I think we also see this in the pastoral epistles where Paul gives qualifications for the elders. He says that he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Men, we are to be responsible for managing our own households as we read in Ephesians 6, 4, bringing up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, on the one hand, this does not mean coming home from work to unstrap the belt to give the kids what they deserve at the end of the day. But also, on the other hand, it doesn't mean that our wives have nothing to do with this as well. What is true of the head of the house would be true of the partner who helps and submits to and respects him. Instead, what Paul is saying is that we men are primarily responsible. The buck stops with us. And therefore, we must be actively engaged in educating and training our children in the ways of God and modelling for them what it means to be a follower of Christ. That's the positive half of this verse, isn't it? We are to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And this is in stark contrast to the first part of it, the negative command. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Uh, We see here again the same pattern that Ed pointed out for us a few weeks ago in chapter 5. Fathers, what does our headship in the home look like? Well, not this, but that. Not provoking them to anger, but bringing them up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. Uh, The translation of this word, to bring them up or to uh, raise, it is correct. But what I found fascinating in my preparation is that this is exactly the same word that we saw back in chapter 5, verse 29. We're speaking of the husband loving his wife. He says, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it. That same word there, nourish, is the same as how it has been translated here, to bring up. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but nourish them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Not this, but that. So I want to spend the first few minutes um, thinking about what it might look like Uh, to provoke our children to anger, and then we'll come back to unpack how we can bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So, provoking our children to anger, what does it mean? Well, one commentator helpfully writes this. 
This prohibition forbids excessively severe discipline, unreasonably harsh commands, abuse of authority, arbitrariness, unfairness, constant nagging and condemnation, subjecting a child to humiliation, and all forms of gross insensitivity to a child's needs and sensibilities. Which is an awful list, isn't it? I shudder to think of how much this goes on in homes all across the world every day. And I pray it never happens in our homes. And Paul says to us, church, fathers, this must not mark you. This sort of behaviour is not to be found amongst the people of God. These actions, they belong to your old life, when you walked in darkness, when you were dead in your sins and trespasses, when you were one of the sons of disobedience. But now you're in the Lord. You've been raised with Christ. You've been seated with him in the heavenly places. So do not provoke your children to anger. Um, I've had a pretty rough week for a number of reasons, but one of them was the afternoon that I let this text go to work on my own heart. And here's a question that I forced myself to answer that I think gets to the heart of this command. The question is this. What do I do that hurts rather than helps my children's faith in Christ? What do I do that hurts rather than helps my children's faith in Christ? You're looking for a sobering afternoon? Go and reflect on that question. What do I do that hurts rather than helps my kids' faith in Christ? Uh, A couple of my answers were found on that list that I read out earlier. But far more than that, far more than any kind of domestic aggression, it was actually domestic passivity. The last thing that I usually want to do after 10 hours at work is to go and kick the footy with Ezra in the backyard. The last thing I often feel like doing after kicking the footy with Ezra is helping Emerson with their maths homework. The last thing I feel like doing after dinner is sitting down to read the Bible with my family. On more than one occasion, I've considered taking my kids out of school so I don't have to make school lunches. To be fair, my wife does it way more than I do. But when I have to do it, it's like, yeah, is this worth it? By 7.30, the last thing that I feel like doing after being on the go non-stop for nearly 14 hours is to pray with my kids as I tuck them into bed. Fathers, our temptation for domestic passivity is so great. More than likely far greater than any domestic aggression. But the reality is, the potential for it to provoke our children to anger is just as great. For the day will come when we when our kids will see our hypocritic behaviour for what it really is. And in anger, they may just turn away from Christ. May that day never come 
And may we do all that we can to not provoke our children to anger. Instead, may we be consistent in our love and our discipline. May we find ways to come home with the energy that we need to joyfully love and care for them, to joyfully read the Bible and pray with them, to laugh and cry and share the stories of the day and of Christ's goodness around the dinner table. May we give them every reason to see the grace of God at work in our own lives so that instead of provoking them to anger, we can help them to walk joyfully in the Lord. Which might just mean that we only need to work eight hours a day instead of ten. It might mean that we need to go for a walk during lunchtime to clear our heads a little bit. It definitely should mean that we are praying and seeking the Lord's strength as we pull into our driveways and walk through the door as we come home from work. It means that we need to make the difficult decision about our working habits so that when we come home, we come home with the strength that we need to take the primary responsibility for our homes and for our children. We need to make wise choices so that we do not shirk our responsibility to bring up our children, to nourish them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so, what does that look like? How are we to bring up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? Well, discipline is defined as the act of providing guidance for responsible living. Uh, And then on the other side, instruction is counsel about avoidance of an improper course of conduct. So essentially we've got uh, discipline as the positive side and uh, instruction as the negative side, which messes with my head a little bit, but this is what those words mean. So the positive and negative side of guidance. I think that means to be consistent in telling them, do this and not that which I think we need to ask the question, how is this any different from the self-help books of our day? Well, it is, of course, the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Just as our new status in Christ impacts every part of life and the way that we live, so too does the way that we raise our children now. It means that we ought to not raise our kids in a way that we think is wise, but in all of it that we refer to the Lord Jesus to his word, and to seek him by his spirit. And praise God for this, right? Increasingly, we live in a world where right and wrong are becoming harder and harder to discern, to pin down, and especially as we raise our kids. There's questions floating around now. When should they get a phone? How much TV should they watch? Should they play sports on Sundays? Should I be sending them to a public school? How do I protect them from the dangers of the internet while at the same time teaching them to use it wisely? When should they enter the workforce? How do I stop them from dating or do I stop them from dating? I think the list, it just goes on and on. And I don't mean to belittle the generations that have gone before. You know, parenting always has been and always will be a hard gig. But the future, it's fraught with danger, isn't it? Dangers that we haven't had before. 
And we need more and more wisdom to know how to raise our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So I encourage you, make the most of every opportunity to fill their heads with the things of God. Dads, belt out the Colin Buchanan songs with them in the car. Read them good books, Christian authors like the Chronicles of Narnia, like Pilgrim's Progress. Tell them about the things you're reading in the Bible at the moment. Help them to understand the world with a biblical worldview. Because the reality is your child is being disciplined and instructed whether you're doing anything about it or not. The question is, who's doing that work? Is it the world? Is it social media? Is it their school? Is it their friends? Is it Peppa Pig? Or is it you? Are you the one pointing them to the Lord Jesus and teaching them to walk in his ways? Because men, provoking our kids to anger is not a legitimate way to make them obey. Domestic aggression and domestic passivity are actually putting our children's salvation at risk. In chapter 4, verse 26 and 27, Paul is clear that there is a clear relationship between anger and giving a foothold to the devil. So the implication is, are we creating opportunities in our children's lives for the devil to be at work in their anger? Or are we nourishing our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? The task of fatherhood could not be any bigger, could it? Nor of any greater importance. And I shared this with our men at our last Mondays for Men, that if I were to give my life to preaching the gospel, which I have, and if I discipled countless people in the church, which I hope to do, but I neglected my own family, I would be a failure. Men, our families are our primary ministry. They are our primary responsibility. And providing food for the table and a roof over their heads is just but one small part of it. True masculinity is a willingness to take responsibility, to love and care and nurture those around you, especially your wife and children. We must not neglect our calling, men. I hope you're like me and feeling more than inadequate for such a task. My hope and prayer is that the Lord has used this morning to show us our weaknesses and our failings and made us desperately aware for the need of God's grace to be at work in our lives. The need for God's grace for the primary responsibility that we have been given to lay down our lives for our wives and to nourish our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord.
And praise God that we're not alone in this task, right? I've spoken directly to fathers here this morning as our passage is directed to them. We are ultimately responsible for this, but we're not alone. Wives, we need your help in this. We need your encouragement and your strength and your wisdom. The responsibility lies with us just as it did with Adam in the garden. But please don't let us lead you astray in this. Might you prayerfully consider how to support us well in this, how we might complement one another, how we might support each other and strive side by side for the good of our children so that they might know and love and trust in our Lord for all of eternity. But there are some among us who are missing their husbands in this effort altogether. And I'm so sorry. It is not fair and it is not right that you've been left to this calling on your own. So please know that you have us as your church family here to support you however we can. And please know that God is near. And his heart is for you. And a day will come where he will make everything right. And your faith and your godliness, it's an inspiration to all of us. And God, by his grace, is using all of these things to do his great work in making us more like Jesus. And praise God that he is just so generous and he is so kind to give us all that we need. Praise God that he has filled us with his spirit. Praise God that he has gifted and equipped his church so that we might mature and grow up into this glorious vision of fatherhood. Praise God that he has given us such a solid hope in our Lord Jesus Christ that he took our place on that cross to suffer the wrath of God for all of our failings as parents. Praise God that he is our good and heavenly father who is perfect in all of his ways. That he is sovereign. His hands are over our children and he uses all things for our good and for his glory. Praise God that we can, by his grace, love our children as beloved children. Let me pray. Our good and gracious Father, we thank you and praise you that you are true and faithful and loving and kind. Thank you that you love us deeply and you've made us your children even though our sins mean we deserve otherwise. Thank you that you have clearly made yourself known to us and that we can know what it is to be good fathers. Even more than that, you have poured out your spirit on us and given us every grace to walk in these ways which you have called us to. So please strengthen us as fathers, Lord. Please make us desperate for you to be at work within us so that we might faithfully love and nourish and bring up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Give us wisdom, give us creativity, give us humility for this vitally important responsibility 
of raising these little ones to know and to love and to trust in your Son. We need you, Father. Please, Lord, would you comfort and draw near to the mothers and to the children whose husbands and fathers have strayed from your intent for fatherhood. You, Father, our Father to the orphan, the protector of the widow. And so please make yourself known to them in beautiful and powerful ways. Help us as a church to know how to love and to care for them well too. And Father, as we draw near to you through the Lord's table now, please make us keenly aware of our need for your grace. And may we take hold of it by faith now in this way. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen.